1: welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Kaveh Hoda. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Friends, across this vast, fine, I don't know, fine, are we fine nation of ours? Hospitals are in varying measure of crisis. There's concerns about staffing, there's concerns about quality of care and pay cuts and hours, and these are pushing what I, I feel like is a wave of physicians, both young and old, to organize in a way I haven't seen yet. Now, we're going to talk about unionization of doctors, both within residency and hopefully beyond and in the medical system in general. I have a little experience with this myself. I, when I was a resident a long time ago, my residency was one of the, the few at the time that was unionized, and it was or I think a relatively rare thing, at least in our area, that we were at. I feel like that's changing. You're seeing things like stories about anesthesiologists in Beverly Hills, residents in different residencies like Northwestern who are becoming unionized. And I want to talk about that. I'm going to have some special guests to do that. We're going to start with Jess Dillard-Wright, PhD, MA, RN, CNM, PIMP, assistant professor, at the University of the Massachusetts Amherst Elaine Marriott College of Nursing. Jess, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you for that. Nobody ever asks how I am. Thank you. <laughs> well, I'm you're glad the, to hear you're okay. You're the first person that's ever done that in like whatever how many episodes this has been. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah. Also joining us, we have two residents, young docs. We have Max Jordan many and Lee Richmond. Guys, how are you? Doing good. Happy to be here.
2: Um, I'm well, thank you. Uh, I'm just coming back from vacation. <laughs> Where did you go? I was in Utah, uh, in California, in D.C., kind of all over. Yeah. Um,
1: Max, how'd you like Utah?
2: You know, it was good. I I mean, I was there for Sundance, the film festival, so that it wasn't like a very... I guess Utah specific trip, but I, you know, got to be around Salt Lake city and park city and it's beautiful. The mountains are great. The food's good. I
1: think when I went to Utah, I remember driving, I was driving from Vegas into Utah and I'm I'm not a heavy drinker, but I remember just as I was, we were going through the border and we're entering Utah, this panic starting to hit me being like, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I heard that they don't have alcohol. What happens if I really want a beer? And I've never had that feeling before. It's not like I drink every night by any by any means, but I just remember feeling a little bit
2: nervous about it when when you were there. Did you get it? Did you get any of that? No, I mean I I don't know. I was going to Sundance with all the heathens uh, who were... <laughs> mm-hmm. so I I didn't really cross my mind. It was interesting that at a restaurant I went to PF Chang's, um, and they like they needed to scan our IDs. They didn't just look at the ID. They would like take your ID and then take it to the back and scan it. For um, alcohol? To prove, yeah, to really prove that you're of age. Um, so the laws there are definitely a little stricter around, you know, letting people drink.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's there's like, I think there's hours and something that you could drink there too. Although I don't I never understand that. I'm from California, so I don't have any of these sundowning laws or like where you have to go to special places like Texas to get a drink. Um let's talk about unions let's get to it you two are both Lee Max you guys are both residents at the Brigham and women's Hospital in uh, Massachusetts and you guys recently unionized your your residency recently unionized can you tell us a little bit about how that went down what that process was like and how you know a little bit about the discussions around it like were people on board where was there a lot of was it back and forth or there's some people who just really didn't want to do it? Because I think it's a really foreign concept to a lot of doctors, a lot of people in medicine, residents included, I don't think have a great idea of what it means to be in a union. What was the process like for you guys?
2: Um, yeah, well, that's a loaded question. <laughs>
1: uh, I'm loaded. I got loaded questions <laughs> and I'm uh, loaded.
2: I'll start by I'll say like what got me interested and uh, in just uh, in us unionizing in the first place and sort of the the early stages and then um, as a start. So, I mean, basically, you know, I graduated medical school in 2021, right? Like peak COVID, um, maybe not peak, but like second peak. Um, And during COVID, there was already a lot of movement. I think 2019 is when we started seeing this sort of slow uptick in resident unionizations around the country. Um, So I came into residency with the you know awareness of that um and you know literally like when i matched uh, a friend of mine who was on our organizing committee here a friend from med school like had reached out to me and said hey uh she's actually MGA, it's um sasha Murillo, she's graduated since um she's like hey we're doing this thing are you down and i was like hell yeah i'm down um so i joined the organizing committee actually before i you know like I sort of started having conversations before I even like moved to Boston. I was ready. And like in parallel, oh. I, my my uh, soon to be co-intern uh, was also like in conversations about joining. So it, it there was a lot of excitement, at least on my end um, and among people I was close with or coming in close with um, about the possibility of organizing together. Uh, and I, so I joined this group of folks who had been organizing probably at least for a year, um and the the you know the tragic aspect of organizing in residency is that uh if you don't like make a huge headway by the end of the academic year you kind of have to start a lot over because there's a new class of people coming in that you have mm-hmm. to like organize anew so i was Get part of that board. Class. yeah exactly so before i end up talking forever i will say i also like was talking to people who were interested in coming here the year that followed um Likely, Uh, that's right. uh, right.
3: I was going to say I had a very similar story, but Max was kind of that anchor person for me. But go ahead and finish, Max.
2: (laughs) So anyway, like, so I it was a lot of having conversations with folks. Um, Are you interested? Are you not? Uh, Why might you be interested? Let me tell you what we might gain from this. Let me tell you about what's going on at UCLA. Let me tell you about what's going on at Stanford. And actually, the fact that Stanford won their union election in the spring of my intern year was was a was a kind of I don't know if boost is the right term, but it was helpful because up until then, all the places that had been unionized were not private sector, right? Among the residencies, or or if they were, they were small. So Stanford was like the largest private sector, also prestigious place to like win the election. It was like a landslide victory. So mm-hmm. then I started using that as like a, uh, as like a seed. Hey, you hear you heard what's going on at Stanford. They, also near match day. Lee is on Twitter, very active. Okay. It's thinking about coming to the Brigham. So here I am being like, you need to come here. We're going to make this shit happen. Um, yeah, we brought the next class of interns in uh, and we continue. And I'm just going to pass on to Lee.
3: Um... Yeah, no, I, I thank you. Uh, and I think Max is underselling himself. He's a, an incredible organizer, Um, just able to have these really comfortable conversations with people in in elevators, in places. I mean, that's what it has to happen is everyone's so busy. This is not the kind of thing where you're going to schedule it outside of work. Um, And, you know, you have to both have this conversation in kind of that context of catching someone in an elevator with someone you may have never met before, but you already have this common ground as a a house staff. Um, And then on top of that, people are a little scared to talk about it at work. So you have to overcome those things. Um, Yeah, I had a very similar experience. I mean, my uh, my politics are very left. Uh, I have, you know, I I read some Howard Zinn in high school, and in general, yeah. I'm uh, I'm pretty <laughs> pro. Yeah, I mean, who He's didn't? Right to you early. Yeah, and um, and so this always seemed like a uh, you know a, a great idea, and then you know this was underway before both of us. I mean, the, I think one thing I can't uh, overstate is just how many people and how much work it is. Um, I think one of the things that get got thrown at us is like you know unions are for lazy people, so that we don't have to work, which is nonsense because unionizing your residency is so much work. I mean, it mm-hmm. took so many people, so many hours. Um, but yeah, I, I got involved in a very similar way, um, and uh, and we were successful. And yeah, I I can't uh, I have to echo that like the momentum from Stanford, and then right before we went public, um, uh, Penn filed for their campaign, and then they won right before we had our election. And those kinds of that kind of momentum really, really uh, helps sway people. I mean, you had asked um, what what was people's general uh, perception of unionizing? Um, And I would say on the whole, actually, it kind of sold itself. Um, I don't know if Max had a similar experience, but I'd say at least I would say certainly the simple majority of people were on board. And I think it's because they had recognized this as a growing trend. Um, And I think honestly, at least in Boston, the rent prices just radicalize people. I mean, it's it's crazy to work as much as you do and then, you know, be stressed about your rent bill, let alone if you have kids or anything. So um, I think a lot of the work is kind of done for you sometimes by the material conditions surrounding you.
1: Jess, you've written and discussed and, and you know, studied the the world of nursing, the power structures with the administration and nursing. And also, I'm assuming with the residents, you've experienced that too is this a similar design that you've seen in other fields of medicine when they unionize what what seems to be similar and what seems to be unique in in this to your experience to what you've seen
4: yeah i mean i think that that's an interesting question and um like for context my my background is is kind of in the history of nursing um and in that right you 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 kind of have the rest of the hospital family kind of uh, accounted for um, I think one of the things that's a little bit different uh, from nursing to medicine is that uh, in the middle of the 20th century, nursing was really like kind of engaged in this project of professionalization, whereas I don't think medicine ever had to kind of, well, that's not true. Like if we go back far enough, there was a professionalization effort. It worked pretty well, though, right? And part of that was um, about like uh, staking some claims in territory that had previously been um, more closely what we might have thought thought of as like midwives and healers back in the day. Right. So, but that's, we're talking like a couple hundred years ago, Um, that project for nursing has kind of been a a more recent project. Um, And at the same time, right, there have uh, been unions in nursing for, for quite some time. Um, You might, uh, Lee and Max, you guys might know about the Massachusetts Nurses Association, which you might think is a branch of the American Nurses Association. And it's not, but it used to be, right? And they actually like overthrew that um, to kind of take a hold of it and radicalize things and 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 advocate for themselves. Uh, but that was back in the 80s. I think that there was a lot of um, movement in nursing towards organizing, at least in some, sp- some spaces, um, in that kind of like late 70s to mid 80s timeframe. Um, and so we see unions having like a really kind of strong hold in some states, Massachusetts, California, uh, Minnesota, um, but that's not necessarily true across the board, right? So um, while I live in Massachusetts now, it's been kind of a recent shift. I used to live in Georgia. Georgia, when I was in nursing school, I was taught that it was unprofessional to join a union. Um, so I think that there's like really strong uh, regionalisms too around how people perceive unions. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of potential and a lot of power in um Like identifying transversal ways that we can organize across uh, our healthcare disciplines. And I think it should also probably extend to include the folks for whom we care, right? Because at the end of the day, that's kind of what brings us all together. Um, And the reality is, is that our working conditions are their care conditions, right? And so if we're not getting paid well enough, if we're not resting enough, if we're not um, supported in the ways that we need, irrespective of who we are, it could be me as a nurse at the bedside, it could be y'all as residents, it could be environmental services, right? So here's where I'm like, I'm more interested actually in breaking down some of these like professional silos um, and sort of uh, flattening out those hierarchies. Um, But I see a lot of potential for um, a healthcare future that's more just more equitable, more accessible for everyone. And I think part of it is also like getting private equity out.
2: I was gonna say two things that relate to both Lee's and Jess's point. So I think uh, at least from my experience organizing um, over the last couple of years is that while ultimately we got, it it wasn't the hardest thing to get to a simple majority in terms of um, verbal commitment from people like, oh yeah, I support this thing. I think a lot of people, I would actually say that the majority had no idea, right? The majority, of people that i talked to didn't have a clue in terms of what might be the role of a union what do unions do or why um how might they sort of like function in this context uh i think a lot of people's first exposure um to union um and you know first of all we're doctors right like a lot of us have never had a job before residency uh a lot not not the i probably the majority most people go straight from college to med school to um to uh to residency still um never had a job so their first like sort of like direct um interaction with the new union is like sort of like maybe witnessing nursing union picketing or being told like hospital lore about i don't know nursing unions in new york city and you're gonna have to draw your own blood or whatever um Uh, So I think political education or lack thereof is a big sort of like component to um, moving people in one direction versus the other. And so in justice case, you know, um, I think political organization, uh, education probably happens in nursing school. Uh, If you're in Georgia, it happens in a way that it's like, don't join nurse, uh, don't join nursing unions. That's unprofessional because you're being politically educated to like, I don't know, embrace right wing politics and serve the interest of like large healthcare corporations like HCA, which is like, you know, spreading all over the South. Or if you're in medicine, the political organization is like, we're doctors, we're the ruling class, Um, don't embrace unions. Unions mean the nurses are going to want to take breaks too often or some, you know what I mean? Um, we don't have the right political education, uh, uh, uh which is yeah. an important ingredient to this whole thing.
1: Did you guys find other residents that just had really strong feelings against it? Lee, did you run across anyone uh, yeah. in your incoming class that oh, oh didn't want to be yeah, a part uh, of it?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I, I think we we still do. There's still some holdouts. Um, I think.
2: And I was with one, so.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, we definitely, you know, they're the minority um, and they will benefit from all the benefits we win for them and we are happy for them because we're making their working conditions better whether they're you know happy about it or not but um yeah we definitely did uh, i think you know especially at somewhere like um you know Mass General Brigham which is affiliated with Harvard there are a lot of people whose parents are doctors there are a lot of people whose parents are you know the professional class and they see something as unions that like you know aren't for them um you know because they identify with the administration with management more than they identify with their fellow residents, with other workers. Um, and they don't really want to see themselves as workers. And I think there's also this attitude like, well, look, I made it here. I keep my head down and then there's a huge payout at the end. And I just have to not cause any trouble for the next couple of years. And then I get to go get a big paycheck in private practice or, or what have you. And so I think that's always going to be a contingent. I think there's kind of a, a, you know, there's an economics Factor that goes into this, I, I think you can also see this from in general. Probably if you pulled across residencies, and certainly from my personal experience, um, you know, depending on the RVUs associated with your uh, your job at the end of this, depending on what uh, field you're in, your tendency to be excited about union unionization at least before you've been educated is different, right? I mean, I think some of our biggest supporters were people who are really passionate about primary care and community health and infectious disease, and I think some of the people who Um, were indifferent or reluctant are those who saw themselves as having the most to lose because they're in a, you know, they're in a specialty that's uh, highly trained and then highly compensated later. Um, Ultimately, you know, everyone, the majority of people do come around because I think everyone recognizes that when you're in residency, you are vulnerable. And, uh, and more importantly, you can advocate better for your patients once you have kind of a collective voice.
2: I also, you know, irrespective of, like, what specialties people are going to sort of, like, be in, uh, which I wholeheartedly agree. I think, like, people who self-identify as, like, I'm going to be very rich and the $10,000 that you guys are fighting now mean nothing to me because actually I'm already rich or my parents are already rich. That's a thing. I also think that medicine, you know all of training is so exploitative and there are people who truly embrace the whole like you have to pay your dues thing. I yeah. And I, I have a very specific, I remember talking to a fellow who like agreed with a lot of the points I were making, like, oh yeah, we need to be like, paid better, da, 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 da. He was like, yeah, but I'm not gonna support your effort because I'm gonna be an attending next year and you're gonna be seeking more protections, which means you might want me to work harder, right? Like, I mean- Yeah, the, that's I a mean, real-
1: I, it's a real universal thing in medicine where it's always everyone assumes that if someone else is succeeding or doing well, then they will not. It's this well, constant like fear, like from that's ingrained in us almost from like being pre meds and studying, like you have to do well. And if this other person does well on their test, then you're not going to do well or something. It's a very frustrating aspect of medicine to me.
2: I think it's a little less of that sort of horizontal competition that you're describing, but like more like a top bottom i mean this is a matter of exploitation right like we like i I like the attendings that i work with but at the end of the day like we're here at night so that the attendings can go home like uh and so you know if like if the more you enforce the protections or like the more protections residents have you're either gonna need more residents or the attendings are just going to have to work more and like there are people who um don't want that Right, like mm-hmm. there are people who, who see themselves as like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like suffering for these years, so that when I'm on, the, when I'm on the other side as an attending, I get to go home at three p.m. after I've like done, you know, verbal sign out over the phone with my residents, and uh, as opposed to maybe needing to be around all day, you know. Well, I mean,
1: do you do you feel like it has to work that way? I feel like residents having better protection doesn't necessarily mean more work for attendings. I mean, I think that's sort of the fear, but I feel like it doesn't have to be that way. I don't feel like we have to believe that residents doing well means that attendings have to work harder necessarily.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, I don't think attendings having to work harder is inherently like a bad thing. Um, I mean, like I'm going to use just a very simple example in my program. Um, you know, when the residents need to go to noon conference, somebody needs to still be responsible for whatever nursing needs or like uh the I don't know, rapid responses okay. or something. And and like who could that possibly be if not the attending who is ultimately responsible for patient care, right? Um, so if say for instance, now I created a rule with my powerful union that like residents must attend noon conference actually this is not a hypothetical their emergency medicine residents at the brigham when they go to their conference every wednesday afternoon there's nobody in the ed but the attendings and the pas like and and they know how to make the ed work by themselves without the residents and then the residents come back and it's fine um but like that doesn't that is not a thing that that exists for my program or I don't know, lease program. I don't know what what goes on in pathology.
3: Yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. We don't run into that problem too much, but <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, the point I'm making is there are times where the attendings need to work harder and that's okay. Um uh, uh and people at our stage who are seeing themselves as like, you know, the future ruling class of better, which I mean that's basically to an extent, certain future attendings um may not necessarily embrace the idea of like you know, like making conditions for residents more, I don't know, um, uh, easier, because that means that they will then like work a little harder as attendings.
3: Yeah, I think I think to, um, I think maybe one component of that, too, especially in academia, where attendings are, you know, they're accepting worse hours and worse pay when they could be going somewhere else for more money. You know, I think there's maybe a misconception there. The grass is greener on the other side. They'll work very hard in in other settings too, even if they're more compensated. But um, I think there's maybe a perception that uh, they recognize that if we aren't the ones who are always picking up the slack, that it will go to them and they don't have maybe the voice to go one step higher to administration, say you need to hire ancillary staff, additional attendings, whatever, to to cover this. They're worried that they'll just be stretched thin in the way that residents currently are. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think that's potentially a component of it. I mean, I think there's also, you know, you mentioned attitudes in medicine, there's the bucket of crabs mentality, right? Everyone pulling everyone else down. And and I think in a way it's like, you know, I went through that brutal residency mm-hmm. and you should have to too. And there's maybe a belief yeah. that it did make me better. And, and I'll say this, like, I do think intense training, uh, with high reps does make you better, but I think there are ways to, you know, get to the same endpoint with, with, you know, with better quality of life, things like, you know, non-physician tasks. I mean, these are all things that kind of come up in the bargaining process that we're actively working on, um, sort of enumerating them and putting protections around them, um, like non-physician tasks that just take up your day so that you're either learning less because you're not studying, you're not reading, um, or just is extending your day uh, because then, you know, you finish those and then you start the part that, that that your degree has trained you to do. Right. You're not operating always at the top of your degree because uh, the system is incentivized to get as much work out of you as possible. Um, right. Because right. at the end of the day, right, residents will pick up the slack. We will not drop the ball. We will not, you know, we will take care of patients because we're dedicated to what we do and we love what we do. Um, And also we, you know, we have to like if, if we don't want a patient to get harmed. So I think, uh, I think getting, you know, uh, I I think there are ways to not force us to, to let us go the extra mile for patient care that isn't like, you know, abusive, abusive or or because they simply won't pay someone decent wages to, to do a non-physician task. And so, you know, I I think certainly all of these institutions, I, I think one thing I've noticed is that there's a perception that, that, you know, uh, Especially someone like MGB, like Harvard, you know, they just, they simply can't afford more. They are already paying us everything they can pay us. They are already staffing everything we can staff. And it's like, if you, if Harvard, if MGB can't do it, I, I don't understand. Like how, because there are places with way less money that, yeah. that like if, if we can't do it, then no one gets to have a residency because it's just not possible to do it, you know, in a, in a humane way.
1: Well, I want to talk about the attendings and I want to talk about whether or not they've been supportive in this process. But first, I, I, Jess, I want to bring you back into this. And I mean, these power dynamics that we're discussing here, do you feel like these are pretty typical for the rest of uh, the, the world of medicine? Is this what's happening in the nursing field, for example? Like, is there uh-huh. the same dynamics where there is, like, say, nurses who are not supportive because they want to be admin one day? Um or is it like they become less supportive once that happens? I mean, how, how are these dynamics playing out elsewhere?
4: Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would, I would point to gently is that um, we're generalizing the healthcare by using the word medicine. And so that's something that happens all the time. And like what I do isn't medicine, um, I do nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are power dynamics all the time, right? And you guys are talking about doing non-physician tasks um, time motion studies of nursing work has shown that up to like thirty three percent of a nurse's shift is spent doing stuff that isn't technically nursing work. But if it doesn't get done, the rest of the nursing work can't happen either, right? Mm. So none of that is particularly um, like it doesn't surprise me. and and they're, they're you know, I think one of these, like one of the frustrating things here, right? is like when we think about if it's work that we have to do to get our job done, right? like it's it subsequently is physician work or nursing work, right? Um, and part of the reason we think about it as not our work, right, is because there's no way to quantify or value it in this like political economy of healthcare as we know it, right? Um, so so you might think about it as reproductive labor. It's labor that has to happen to get, get the stuff done that needs doing. Um, I think in the context of healthcare, right, like um, physician labor tends to be more visible and like, more readily quantified for lots of numbers of reasons, Um, ICD-10 being, like, chief among them, I guess. Um, And there's a harm that happens to us as, like, human beings, right? Like, holistic people, when the work that we do, our existence is, like, quantified and broke down and metricized in these ways, I think, right? Like, this is sort of the end result of um, neoliberalization of healthcare. Um, And it doesn't really account, like, it doesn't account for, like, human relation, right? Like, and that's part of the part of our our work as healthcare people, right? Is like connecting with other people, but like, what do you chart around? um, Well, I had this great conversation with Mr. So-and-so and and like, I feel really better connected to him. And now I've developed a rapport with his daughter. Nobody wants that kind of narrative charting. And like, certainly there isn't a great way to integrate that which an admin cares about into that kind of charting, right?
2: Oh, you'd Um, be surprised they're making the chaplain's document. so at the bedside and say a prayer because the patient was asleep and not conversing. So they're,
4: they're they're billing for for praying at the bedside.
2: Yeah, without yeah.
4: the patient being
3: I just want to see like, like an at an least a <laughs> greater greater than 30 minutes of this visit were dedicated to like, you know, Hail Marys, like seeing that at the bottom <laughs> of the note.
1: I don't even have enough religious background to to make a joke about it. I wanted to make a reference there, but I don't know. Ecclesiastes? Could I say something? I have nothing to add. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Go, yeah, I'm sorry, but, on,
4: but yes. even even that's like like so that's a um I guess what what kind of bums me out about that right is like there's this extraction of data in very one particular trajectory right there isn't a anything um, substantive about it except for it goes in the you know the electronic medical record electronic health record which is back engineered accounting software right which explains a lot about why it's so shitty for like actually doing and I think it's probably less this is my my my. my Uh, speculative so please feel free to redirect me i think it's probably a little less shitty for um some of the physician charting than it is for some of the nurse charting um that you have to do like restraints and then you have to figure out like how to get there even um because it's in the the like part that looks like an excel spreadsheet not in a free text or anything like that and i'm not saying it's great for y'all either but um so yeah i mean there's so much that um I f- I f- I gosh I have lots I could lots of stuff that obviously right my my brain is going faster than my mouth can keep up with. Um, <laughs> there's lots to be to be kind of teased out here, right? Like I think attendings probably need more than what they have, right? And a future that is, uh, more supportive of attendings as humans is desirable, right? Because that means that people getting care get better care. That means that residents get better education. That means that, um, maybe. Uh, that surgeon with um, anger troubles, right? Gets the care that they need so that they don't have that anymore, right? And aren't throwing scalpels at people on the unit. Um, no names. Uh,
1: but, I, I, but... I missed this story. I'm going to have to come back to this at some point, but yeah, go on.
3: <laughs> what, you never dodged a retractor in the OR like as a med student? No, was like a perfect.
1: Mo- <laughs> have you listened to the show? Never once had an issue in medicine. But that's a very good point. And speaking of painful things that just need to get done by somebody, we have some commercials we have to get to. Let's do that real quick and we'll come right back. Okay, we're back. Oh, man, I hope you buy all those things. Um, so we mentioned it a little bit before you talked about attendings. And I mentioned at the top of the show that not just residents are starting to unionize, but actual, you know, uh, attendings out of residency are as well, including just most recently, the anesthesiology group at the Beverly Anesthesiology in Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles formed a union. Um About 75% of their group voted in favor of joining the Union of American Physicians and Dentists, the UAPD, and that was a two-day vote they had in January. Out of a total of 139 voters, 103 cast their ballot and 78 voted to unionize. So we're seeing it in attendings, and I'm sure when I I was in a residency and I was in a union, um, a lot of attendings would quietly come up to us and ask us about it. You know, when there wasn't anyone else around uh, to hear more about what it was like in a union. I'm curious to know uh, from from Max and Lee, how have the attendings been for you guys? Have there been some that have displayed interest? Have there been some that have been, you know, resistant, reluctant to to support? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: So I mean, Lee started earlier was saying uh, I well, actually I don't know whether you were you were referring to attendings, but you mentioned primary care and infectious diseases. Uh, <laughs> um, so we got support from some attendants. So there's there's a contingent of MGB attendings, both like Brigham MGH and even the 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 greater like Harvard Medical School, um, like sort of universe that were fairly supportive of us. Um, they signed a petition. Um. You know, and like, not so surprisingly, again, it was like the disproportionately so infectious diseases and primary care doctors across the health system. And then like, you know, a couple of like pulmonary critical care people who do global health. Like, um, uh, so there definitely was some support. Uh, In my experience, I think generally... um, the way messaging came from admin was like, don't talk to them about it. Cause it might come across as, as an attempt at intimidating them. Mm. Uh, there are some who would ask and I'd be like, I don't like if I've, if I was on, actually I was very bold. I wore pins. Like I, I was union man. So like if they asked, I would be like, yeah, this is what we're doing. And I never sort of like got into a tizzy within attending myself. Um, And since we've won, I think generally a lot of people have been like, that was a big deal. Congratulations. Um, You're going to affect a lot of people's lives having done this. Um, And yeah, I don't know. Lee, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think um, it kind of ran the whole gamut. I would say the average attending didn't care um, because they don't pay us. They don't pay us, they don't decide our hours. Right. They were residents at one point and, and they're just, they're not really our managers, right? They don't, truly who our managers are, are the GME uh, graduate medical education staff who we had never heard from before, who suddenly deeply cared about us and started emailing us to tell us it. You know, um, that those were the people who are truly our, our managers. Um, there definitely were programs uh, where de- department chairs were also an easy one. I think almost every department chair send an email basically being like, here's my, here are my concerns, but do, you know, you should vote. And like, we're really encouraging voter turnout. You know, we're not telling you what to do, but we're here all of my concerns. And also you should go vote. You know, the, the subtext is there. Um, sometimes that
2: letter, that letter telling us to not unionize every department chair. I forgot about that.
3: That's true. Yep. And then pretty much every department chair, I think. And then, um, program directors sometimes would also sign on to that. And you could probably predict based on the department, whether or not that happened. Um, I think, i definitely had attendings who were super uh on board um they are you know I, I think what's wild is residents were scared but attendings were scared too they're scared of talking about unions they're scared of unionizing themselves they're afraid they they feel like they have more to do use i mean in the end right it's really hard to fire a resident we can't really lose our job you maybe won't get hired at the institution later you maybe won't get the fellowship you want but like it's really hard to fire a resident um you know i won't take that for granted but it it feels a lot easier to unionize probably as a resident, you have less to lose than as say a nurse or environmental services staff or a lab worker where you can just get canned in a, you know, in a right to work state or whatever with, with no cause. Um, So, you know, we had a lot less to lose. So I think a lot of attendees were scared, a lot supported. I, uh, I will not name names because uh, these people did me a solid. There were many people who were informing to us about what management was telling them, what meetings they were getting pulled into. Um, I will say, uh, management, if you're listening, turn this off. I don't want you to know this. Uh, the more they pushed, the more they turned attendings in our favor. Mm. The more attendings sensed that they were being told what to do and being told to kind of quietly pressure us without pressuring us, it really turned them off because they were like, you never talked to me before. You never cared about what I have to say. And now suddenly you're like asking me to twist some levers of power for you. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, so I think on the whole, attendings are either indifferent because they they aren't our managers, or, um, or they were actively turned in our favor by management's response. I mean, it really was their election to lose, I gotta be honest. We worked really, really hard and we set it up, but it, it felt like the more they kind of floundered, the more desperate they they got to get us to not unionize, we mm. got more and more support because people mm-hmm. kind of recognized like, oh, wow, they're taking this seriously. This seems like a threat. Like, what? You know, do I really believe that they have our best interest or do I really believe it's gonna cost them a lot of money? And actually you had mentioned attendings forming a union um, most notably in our system in Salem hospital, uh, they just filed, I believe for an election. I think it was like hundred out of 145 positions signed cards. Um, And we'll talk a little bit about the process later, I think um, for how to actually form a union, but you know, that is, this is a growing trend. I think residencies are going to be first. um, And then, and then potentially if something doesn't change um, it's going to be attendings. I mean, for me, my crazy, you know, dream is that this is this is how we actually mobilize towards socialized healthcare in this country um because you know they're they, the entrenched political power is to be anti um healthcare free at the point of service and so i think once you know once doctors are are unionized and are seeing themselves not as the uh as the profit seekers but are really seeing themselves as the people who do the work of patient care um it'll start to be like you know why it doesn't make sense for us to be spending more money to have sicker people you know so that's my that's my pipe dream then we'll see that when I'm dead
1: maybe god damn Boston
3: hippies good,
2: right? oh sorry no go on I was gonna tie that with Jess's um point about the you know the whole like working conditions and caring conditions right like us having unions means that we get to demand better working conditions, which means that we are better and we do our jobs better and we are um better resourced to do our jobs, which then means that the care we're providing is better, right? We like literally, there's so much data out there about the role unionization plays in improving care outcomes. There's a really good econ study done by um this dude at UMass Amherst, I think, um, that looked at nursing union formation um, across US hospitals and what you find not so surprisingly, like 11 out of 13, like sort of like federally government label quality indices get better after unions um, form um, among nurses, right? So it's like, yeah, that unions are the way, like even if nothing changes, I think workers having the leverage to ask for better because at the end of the day like even if hospitals are not for profit they're like somebody at the board is trying to save money all the time and that means either squeezing the workers or squeezing the patients and it's sort of like up or both we have that power as workers and like as people who sort of like keep the institution going to be like hey this the buck stops here
4: yeah one thing that occurs to me sorry i'm i have a thought and before it leaves the station without me. Um we're seeing unprecedented or maybe not unprecedented but um a, a sort of historic in uh, amount of unionizing and actually strikes um in the US. I mean since maybe 2020, right? And it's or maybe even a little bit before that. Um and that's I mean that goes beyond um healthcare, right? So we saw like UAW make historic gains, right? And um you know the IWW talks about one big union, right? And like the way that we could. Uh, so I get really excited when I when I think about the potential, right? Because healthcare, um, and health is this site for, um, like without health, you don't have liberation, right? So if we're going to be serious about like wellness and and equity and justice, like we need to think about how health figures into all of that, um, and it, it, so so, um, there's both this like sort of horizontal potential, right? To to kind of, um. Organize collectively with other workers right as if we can get comfortable with that idea that we are workers right because i think that's actually probably a big hurdle that y'all have to <laughs> have to clear i think nurses also don't always like feel super comfortable in that uh, worker space um but th- at the end of the day we are working for a paycheck right so i'm not really like like it is what it is um so why not join forces with all of the people who might need care one day and figure out how we make this work in the direction that we want. Um, so so I think that that's, I think it's, it's, it's really um, exciting to see the way that that um, this is happening across sectors. And then, you know, it also makes me think of sort of historical examples of moments of resistance in healthcare, right? So like maybe um, the, the accomplishments that the Young Lords were able to make around healthcare, when we think about what they were able to do in New York City. Um, with Lincoln Hospital and their takeover of Lincoln Hospital, and also like um, getting triage to be something that folks were doing on a regular basis, um, and also, I mean, you know, uh, it represents this radical political moment, right, in the late '60s, early '70s. But also, the Young Lords and the Black Panthers are responsible for what we now know as the Patients' Bill of Rights, right? So, so there's there's this evidence too of like when we can come together and and organize, right? whether that's organizing through unions or, um, other across other kinds of like political identities, it's possible to shift the reality that we have. So, um, you know, when I hear you talking about, um, universal healthcare, um, in this way and like seeing the willingness to take on some of the the behemoths, right? Like the, the American medical association, uh, famously not super in favor of, right. Um, it's exciting to see this potential and, um, especially when I think about what's possible when we all kind of join forces together.
3: Yeah, and I, I think I think something to be said about um, sort of identifying as a, especially for residents who, I, I think there's a contingent of them who identify more with management, who identify more with administration. Learning to see yourself as a worker is not just, you know, I'm someone who's get who gets a paycheck and then goes home. And, you know, I, I think it's also like, who do you first identify with? Like for me, it's my co-residents, right? Very quickly in residency, I learned that, my happiness my well-being my survival my education will all is going to depend so much more on the people who are there all the hours with me um and that can extend further to you know uh, our pathologist assistants our laboratory technicians um uh in in the on the floor it's 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 the nursing staff and the medical assistants and even the clerks i mean once you realize that the people who are there doing that sort of work um are equally as invested in and equally as important for patient care. You kind of realize that, like, oh, that's that's who has my back and that's whose interest, whose mutual interest I should put first. So, you know, I, I think we said this during the break, but um, like the MNA came out big for us, and I really want to shout them out because um, they were one of the Massachusetts Nurses Association was one of our biggest supporters. Um, they are uh, in Brigham and Hospital. They were you know, wearing pins, they were coming to our press conferences, they were really supporting us, um, and asked nothing from us. And, uh, I think residents now learning that, you know, we can reflect that solidarity mm. and have a voice. Like I'm, I'm really excited for when we can, you know, once we finished with bargaining and, and strengthened our unit, we can start to be an advocate for other groups in the hospital, both unionized and non-unionized. I mean, I think, um, there are a lot of workers in these hospitals who, uh, who want to do a really good job at their job. Um, and sometimes the decisions coming from the top aren't allowing that because they're prioritizing the wrong things. I mean, I think talking, we, you know, I talk, I made a, a, a sort of flippant comment about this sort of grand shift about socialized sort of healthcare. But I think one thing we're seeing in the bargaining process is that we are shifting the conversation the way management perceives us. I think a lot of sort of the proposals we make, you know, one thing they kind of would have said is ostensibly they were, you know, we said, Hey, we want to do this, this, and this, we want this guaranteed. They said, we were trying that before and it just wasn't possible, you know? And it's like, okay, well it, you tried, you weren't able to do it. Now we have to force you to prioritize it. You were, you were, you know, it was always possible. It was just a question of what were your priorities. And, and I think there's this belief that in order to stay in the black, we have to do things this way. And, and that's not necessarily true. Maybe we don't need to buy up every urgent care practice in the area. Maybe we can reinvest that money elsewhere. You know, we can kind of, force the institution to maybe have priorities that prioritize patient outcomes and not necessarily optimizing, you know, how much, you know, how self-sufficient the hospital can be for money forever, you know, in perpetuity.
4: Like, what is even the point, right? If (laughs) I start to wonder, right, the point is making money, right, for this, for stakeholders, whoever, whoever they are. And then with nonprofits, like, it's a little bit different, but not that different. Um, But like, that's the thing. We're here to do this. We're here to take care of people, right? And so like, let's get our shit on straight and make some stuff happen.
1: So along those lines, Jess, let's, to the listeners who aren't in healthcare, uh, who don't work in a hospital or in a setting like uh, the rest of us might, why should they care? Why should they support people in medicine and nursing and other parts of healthcare or unionizing?
4: Yeah, I I have lots of thoughts about that, and I mean, chiefly, I think Max kind of already reflected this, right? Where we work is where people get care. But I interrupted you, Max. So go ahead.
2: No, no I I was gonna say literally, like, oh, we. I mean, just the simple fact that the better the working conditions are, the better the care people receive is is, uh, it, you know, it's that. Yeah, that's. Uh, and I mean, we could be more graphic or sort of like more specific about data around this. You know, like for instance, the, in medicine, 28 hour calls, which are increasingly or rather decreasingly common, right? Like we, we're doing less and less of those depending on the specialty you're looking at. Uh, pilots don't work 28 hours in a row. Um, or, you know, you name a, a, a work, a, a job where you're being up for 28 hours while other people's lives depend on you. I think- Can we also
4: a- talk about the history of like how that happened and like the first guy right. to do that, being all <laughs>
2: <like super laughs> coked up and- Right, exactly. But in any case, the point I was gonna make is like, the a lot of the evidence actually around the quality of care that ends up being provided in those conditions comes out of right here, the sleep department with the Brigham does, has done a lot of those studies. And so one of the studies that, that was done here, you know, really interesting finding, interns at the end of a 28-hour call make 38% more serious medical errors um, than if they were well-rested, right? 38% now, uh, luckily, those errors are caught by other people like nurses who are well-rested or by their residents. But I'm just saying, like, there is true danger in poor working conditions. And that is the point of having... um you know, mechanisms in place to ensure that people have safe and just working conditions so that we don't turn around and accidentally kill people.
3: And and in the setting of of residency where where one of the arguments is, well, you're not workers because you're also being trained. You're also learning. No one's learning at the end of 28 hour call. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. crazy. Like like you're just getting through it. You're
1: surviving at that point.
3: Yeah. And so like the implication that's important for learning is just baffling to me.
1: So let's close out the episode here with some advice to doctors and residents that might be interested in at least approaching this, you know, or, or starting a union. What I'd like to hear from everyone, maybe at least one piece of advice. Um, let's start with you, Lee. What what advice do you have for for people who are interested in starting uh, a union for their medical program or their residency?
3: yeah i mean i think the most basic step you can take is to start collecting contact info and and have conversations with people i mean that's it i mean that's the thing that that they have that you don't have is they have a roster of everyone and their phone numbers and stuff and this takes people and having an you know we had thousands of individual conversations we talked to probably almost everyone at least once um And so you just need to figure out how many people are in your program. You need a way to contact them. That's not through your work email. Do not use your work email. Uh, You know, they, they are especially now when more and more residencies are unionizing, they're going to search the email and see if someone said union or organize. And, you know, you know, I don't want anyone to get in trouble here. So personal emails, personal phone numbers, collect that contact info that's and and just kind of a roster of how many residents there are in each department. Um, That's, one of the hardest things to actually put together. It takes a lot of manpower because that's all centralized and, and you don't have access to that often. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. And then just my second note is um, anything they say about why you're, why it's special in your situation, why it's a bad idea for you and not for someone. It's they've done it a thousand times. It's the same thing over and over again. Your, your program is not special. You are a resident. You are fundamentally have more in common with other residents across the country than you do with the administration. Um, you know, you're not they're not going to retaliate against you in like, a. you know, we could lose more than we gain. That's not true. That's not a thing. You're going to negotiate the contract and you're not going to accept a contract that's worse than than, you know, what you had before. Obviously, um, there's just a lot of fear mongering and misinfo. And I really encourage people to uh, do their research beyond just what, you know, their doctor parents or their, you know, the occasional very vocal anti-union attending says or, or what they get from a department wide email. So those are are my two sort of brief tips.
2: Uh, For me, okay, so having basically spent my entire residency unionizing, (laughs) um, I think, you know, my biggest piece of advice for anyone trying to do this is the relationships matter a lot um, in wanting to get this done because you have to like the people you're organizing with, Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, you don't have to, but it's, it is helpful when you do, <laughs> uh, uh, and so like for me, you know, I, she's not here to, with us, Katie Himmelstein, who's one of our OG organizers, like she was on the OC before, like the, you know, the year prior because she, she's been here, um, at MGB for longer. Um, and I got to grow as really good friends, like Katie and I are friends, um, Lee, I see Lee in the cafeteria all the time and I message him every piece of shit I see on Twitter. Like, I think just <laughs> the relationship you have with people, you're organizing it makes organizing easier um, because there's a greater sense of trust that things are getting done, um, that we're all on top of our stuff. Um, and, and then be it, like, I am like an octopus, right? There is not a residency at the Brigham where I don't know someone on a text message basis. And so, like, leaning, like, being able to, like, like, spring up relationships with people off of any little thing. Hey, dude, I like your clocks, your Birkenstocks. And just, like, having a conversation about Birkenstocks and turning that into organizing, that's how I got people to, to like, to say, yes, I will vote for the union within five minutes of talking to them on the elevator, Um Moving, Relations- shaking, relationship- love it. Yeah. Relationship building, relationship building, both like within your organizing committee so that it keeps you sane. Because I've, th- I've thought about quitting this t- like many times. Like there were moments where I was like, listen, if we don't do X, Y, Z by next week, I will stop doing this. And then the thing didn't happen. And then I stayed because I care about the people that I was organizing with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And then the other side of the relationship piece is like, moving through this behemoth of a system was through knowing people and being able to quickly get to know. I mean, we do this with patient care all the time, right? You walk into a patient's room, they're watching the Jets game. You don't give a shit about football, but you're like, hey, you know, what would you think about that touchdown? And then boom, you've sort of like found a way to connect with them. I would tell people use the same way of connecting with patients that you use at work all the time. Do that with organizing other people. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I think that touches on something really important, right? Is like, um, in spite of being in these professions, we are also community, right? Like we're a community with one another um, in the professions, but also like we're part of innumerable communities out there, right? So so that's a, a useful sort of tool for for thinking about connection. Um, I think for me, right, um, is remembering that it can always be a different way. Like we built this system, that means we can build it and it could different. Um, And it is as easy as that, as simple as that, and as hard as that, right? Um, Because it means that people are invested in the decisions that they've made to make this system the way that it is. But it also means that there's so much potential and possibility. Um, So, you know, daring to kind of imagine what's possible and then going for it, I think is um, an important part of this whole project.
1: Well, that's great advice. You guys, I've learned a lot from this experience, I hope our listeners have as well. Let's get some plugs in here, um, Max. Anything to to plug?
2: Um, as in like, what are you getting for uh, dinner tonight?
1: That sort I of thing. See. I have a your sub-tack. Twitter feed if you want people to follow you there. That sort of thing.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm very active. I tweet more than I need to. Um, I am Max Jordan underscore N. I have a Substack which is like, um, for your listeners who are not familiar, it's like a platform where you get to write your opinions, blah, 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 uh, with low barrier. It's called uh, Adverse Reaction. um And I have a podcast called Flip the Script, which is all about health disparities. So that's me. um Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's very pluggable. All right, uh Jess, what, what do you got?
2: Hey,
4: yeah, sure. Um, I'm on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it in this moment, Twitter, uh, at jdillardwright.com all one long cumbersome title um i'm also on blue sky ish
1: mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i'm sort of there w. too yeah, yeah like
4: i'm there i guess um when it all falls down at twitter i'll go over there a little bit more probably <laughs> um and then i have a book that came out in 2022 called nursing a imagination i co-edited with a couple of my beloved comrades um and it's from Rutledge. It's called Nursing Radical Imagination. Uh, maybe don't buy it, but request it from your library. Um, I'd be delighted if they would purchase it. And at, uh, it's hardback right now, so probably um, more than I would like for it to be. Um, so those are my plugs. Thanks.
1: Very cool. Uh, Liestifer, what, what about you?
3: Yeah, that's that's correct. Liestifer. Um i don't want to be perceived but if you must perceive me um i'm also on twitter uh at pathology too that's like pathology but pathology and then apparently someone else had this idea so i had to stick a two after it um uh that's i have the a, worst <laughs> i have a defunct podcast and if anyone actually finds it more power to them um and yeah i don't know uh i can plug uh my favorite movie which is john carpenter's the thing
1: not the remake the original oh geez i should have known yeah cody cody's been on the show cody love you cody miss you buddy has been on the show a number of times usually
2: what's that is cody a nephrologist
1: uh yeah yeah yeah. yep and uh his favorite he's talked about the thing more on this show than he's talked about kidneys so yeah um, no
3: we're we're gonna watch uh i think me and him, we need to take some time. We need to pick like a terrible, like maybe uh what's that Kevin Bacon one where they uh flatliners. where they like flatliner. Like maybe we need to talk about flatliners. I don't know. I love terrible
1: Ter- Terrible? Movies. Terrible? How dare you? That is a classic young man. You yeah. need to know you, you are so disrespectful to the Gen X elder millennial generation. I take All right, great. Settle courage.
3: settle down reality bites. <laughs>
1: We get it. Winona Ryder was like I really pretty in that. You know. She's still really pretty. Okay. now yeah. Thank you guys so much. If you haven't already, rate and review us at iTunes. I appreciate that when you guys do. I love reading those. And uh, follow me wherever you want uh, on whatever socials you want. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Bye.
2: This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible.